Welcome to Talking Volleyball. I'm Steve Hammond. BJ Leroy and I talk with coaches, players, and others who have a love for the game. Coach Ray Vance joins us today. Ray talks about his evolution from PE class to volleyball coach. His range of experience from club to secondary to all college levels gives him a great perspective. What are some ways to use statistics and performance data to help players improve? Which ones matter for your team? How do we grow the game at the grassroots level? We cover that and more. There he is. Hi, BJ. Ooh, I'm looking around for who you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning, Steve. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. It's I, I would say it's it's going to be a hot one here, but uh, it's always a hot one here. Um, but I guess it's it's pretty hot up where you are. Yeah, it was uh, it was 85 degrees, so it, it it got pretty warm for us. Yeah, we're going to be 109 uh, today. <laughs> so, yeah, today yeah. is beautiful. We just gorgeous day. We walked over to the lake and uh, uh, Lake Michigan, and it was. Uh, it's like 60 degrees next to no humidity. I mean, for us, that's just a gorgeous morning and hopefully, hopefully getting nicer. So we'll see. Sean Manzi says, of course, as soon as you start talking about the weather, the conversation is over. So maybe the podcast is done. Yeah, we're all, we're good. Yeah. But <laughs> well, let's, let's get our guest in here. Let's see. Bingo. There he is. Good morning, Ray. Good morning, guys. How are you? Very good. Well. Very good. Yeah, balmy 90-something in Richmond with high humidity, like every summer day. Yeah. 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 That sounds, uh, sounds gorgeous. We're, we're starting to – I mean, I, I looked at my, um, my snowblower this morning and thought, well, maybe it's time to, <laughs> to haul that from the shed out to the garage. <laughs> you know, it's not going to be too much longer. <laughs> yeah, you guys enjoyed your two weeks of summer in Wisconsin. Yeah, no, we had we had a beautiful summer this year. It was uh, oh. it was just fabulous. You know, that's awesome. Warm, yeah, warm every day. Plenty of rain. the The lawn looks good. You know, normally by now the lawn is so just burned out from the from the heat of August, but. It's it's gorgeous right now. Everything is good. It's gonna be a good uh, it's gonna be a good uh, farm season for all the farmers. They're gonna have bumper crops, so it'll be a it'll be a good year in Wisconsin for sure. That's awesome. One of my favorite states, obviously, with my Packers garb. Yes, yes, and I do have uh, I've put out the word, Ray, for um, all the people that I know that have season tickets. If you have any tickets, you gotta let me know a couple weeks in advance so Ray can get a Ray can get a uh, ticket up here, and we'll we'll run over to Lambo and go see the whole thing. Would love to do that. Yeah, yeah. One of these years, one of these years, we'll get you up here. Exactly. And anytime you can interject Sean Manzi's name into anything, that's got to be great. <laughs> my my yeah. favorite little guy. Yeah. Uh, I, I did his uh, yeah. engagement photos. Oh, did you really? I didn't know that. Yep. Yep. That was me. I remember those. Him on the train tracks and all yeah. those. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. So you're a photographer as well. Do you do all your team photos? 
I don't. My wife actually does them, and she does a really good job. I'll uh, I'll send you out a link for what she does. It's really cool stuff. She uses backdrops and all that stuff. And I'm I'm more of the sports photo guy who dabbles yeah. in other stuff. Yeah. Oh, that's neat. That's really cool. Yeah. So our our first couple of questions normally for people are um, how do you how did you get into volleyball? What what was your start into volleyball? How is it that you know something about this game? And, and what are you coaching now? Let's, let's start with those couple of things. Um, I started in Maryland, um, where they don't have any boys high school volleyball. I really like playing in PE class and at my church and uh, really like that. And then, of course, the girl that I liked was on the volleyball team. So I went to all the games in high school and tried to help out at practice and everything. Um, I was a big baseball player and then as the years went on I didn't quite um, progress in baseball the way that I had hoped and realized that that wasn't really going to be a huge long-term career type thing and I was like well I'm going to find something that I want to play and uh, decided I was going to give volleyball a shot so I went from playing kind of church league jungle ball to taking the class at my community college and uh the coach there was like, Hey, you're really, this really makes sense to you. You're pretty good at this. Why don't you come be my assistant coach? So I'm 19 years old and I'm the assistant coach at my community college and every girl on teams older than me, except for the girl I graduated high school with, um, and, and got into coaching. And then, uh, we were fortunate enough to where we were having Barry Goldberg from American university come up and do camps and uh, got connected with him and then he started having me do some of his summer camps and satellite camps and stuff and uh, did five years at Frederick Community College because everyone should do five years at a two-year school if they can and then uh, got the opportunity to go play at SUNY New Paltz for the great Tony Bonilla and was playing there and helping with the girls team and uh, realized that as a player my limit had pretty much been hit playing um, sometimes on a really good D3 team and that coaching was going to be the avenue that I needed to go into to to do it long term and just started pursuing that um coached club travel um I've coached all five college levels I got my first head coaching job at New Jersey City University as the head men's and women's coach there um got involved with gold medal squared through them um they were looking for a host for a camp so I ended up meeting Mike Wall and talking to him and uh, been doing camps for them off and on since then and uh, went to VCU and was at VCU for two seasons and got married and bounced around a little bit and right now I'm coaching a high school and a middle school and I'm starting my own club here in Richmond and uh, got to go out and visit the national team for two weeks and watch how they do all their trainings for the men's and women's before COVID. So that was really awesome to get to sit and talk with Karch and Aaron and John Sparaw and all the guys who were out there. Um, watching Neville run the Neville drill was amazing. So uh, yeah. it, it, it's been a really good experience. Um, Manzi actually got me in the volleyball coaches and trainers. And uh, I've pretty, I, I would say I'm relatively active in that group. Uh, yeah, yeah, I would say too. But when we go to convention, people have to, I have to say the F in front and then people recognize, recognize the name. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, think I am Ray. One year. Who? F Ray. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're that guy. Okay, yeah. The one who has an opinion on everything. Yep. So uh, <laughs> I, 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 I've kind of digressed where I'm not necessarily interested in going the, the big college route anymore. I really like the grassroots, educational level, volleyball for everyone type thing, um, especially with long conversations with Kessel about that kind of stuff. And I feel like that's where we can do a lot of good and really improve the overall level of play by training coaches and getting kids playing however they can and playing outside of where you have a set court and nets and ways to make volleyball happen without all that. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I've landed too. I, I, I enjoyed my time in division one volleyball. It's um, it, I, I find it to be very, um, we're in we're in pillars you know we're going up skyscrapers nobody really works together because it's all so secretive um it's it's hard for uh on the women's side i don't know why so much on the women's side because the men's side's not like that the men's side really they they work together and i've even heard coaches say you know we're recruiting this guy but i don't think we can use him maybe you could use him instead and that, you know, they, they're very much more, um, maybe they need each other because there's so few, uh, so few programs. So they're just to stay alive. They need to, they need to be good. But on the women's side, holy cow, you know, it's yeah. just, it's silos, you know, the, the, the men's side is very symbiotic and great cooperational relationships. Um, last year, the HBCU started their programs. Yeah. In the South. Yeah. South Atlantic Conference, I believe it was. And uh, Coach Sparaw and a lot of the other high-level coaches did away games at those facilities just to help promote and spread the game. They're so so good about spreading and promoting the game and uh, just sharing ideas. I, I've actually seen the, hey, I can't use this kid. He's my fifth outside. For you, he might be your three or two. If you want him, here's his contact information. Yeah, so it's it, amazing it, to me just how they work together. Yeah, I really enjoy that component on the men's side. I coached girls for a long, long time and definitely find myself enjoying coaching the boys at any age group better and girls better at a younger age group. Yeah. The less trauma, the better. Well, yeah, yeah it, it's interesting, though. I, I, um, I've had an interesting year in that I've found resistance to some of the things we, we have taught in in cap uh and uh i mean my experience here has been it's probably 30 percent ish of coaches kind of embrace those things if that and then you get drill based um i was looking at uh somebody posted a um uh, was a, one of the local schools, and they had a middle school program, and they posted their, you know, uh, a, a, uh, I don't know if it was Twitter or Instagram. I think it was, uh, I think it was Instagram, and uh, short video, and you see the, you know, the girls going. There's one court going, and they're, they're working on their passing and and all that, and then you, you, they pan around, and there's 20 girls sitting on the floor, and I'm like, what, you know, watching the girls play, and I'm like, um, boy, you know, and. Uh, and if you go and string a rope across a gym and have a bunch of two-on-two small games, they look at you like you're from Mars um, and, and are like, I don't know what that coach is doing. He doesn't know what he's doing. I'm like, okay, well, um, 
you know, well, let's see the results, but even results, because they come slowly, even with that, you get the, we would be better if stuff that happens. So it's, uh, I have a, uh, I'm, I'm going to get together with Eric uh, Hodgson, hopefully in the middle of the month. He, I don't know where the heck in the world he is, but I just texted him and said, hey, dude, uh, when you're back in town, let's get together. And I want to, I want to quiz him on, tell me the programs, both academic, you know, school programs and club programs who embrace what we do because for whatever I do next I want to find one of those environments because it's just frustrating to, to try to evangelical the whole thing I'm not a good evangelist yeah yeah it's it's hard I mean it, it definitely is and I, I think you have to start with the fun stuff like for us yeah I'm in a new program and I, I got the opportunity to coach our JV team for a couple of days. Our, our varsity coach is busy. So our JV team took the varsity to the tournament and then I had the JVs. So I, I get the JVs together. I'm like, Hey, let's play this game. You know, the, the speed. So you pick the best one. And you, if you get the players lit up about it, which we did, then when the, the coach came back, the players are, you know, the players get the net set up. They're all playing already. It's like, what is this game? You know, so she's asking the questions now. What game are you playing? Why do you like this? And now all three of the teams at our high school all of a sudden are playing speed as their very first thing of the day. And yeah. we've gotten rid of the stretching warm-ups and all that kind of stuff just because that's what they want to do. So I, right. I mean, it's one of the basic lessons, get them doing something they want to do. Yeah. Yeah. My boys side, we had open gym. They start with, they, they just walk out and start playing speedball, you know, yeah. but they've been doing yeah. it for a couple of years, well, four years now. So, but uh, yeah, it makes, it makes a difference. Now we were going to talk about if, as, as my memory serves me, we were going to talk about stats a little bit. I'm not sure exactly what BJ had in mind on stats. Um, yeah, but yeah, um, Ray and I were having a discussion. Okay. Um, about some statistical uh, benchmarks, if you will, and my bend on on benchmarks is a lot of people ask this question what should we be passing? Like what, if, if you use a standard three, two, one, zero, what do we have to pass to be a good team? And, and I always ask the question, what does it matter what you have to pass? If you're passing a, say you're passing a 1.5 today, you need to be better. If you're passing a 2.3, you want to be better at that too. So, I, I've never really understood why people have these benchmarks because you have what you have in your gym. Uh, so um, Ray and I were kind of talking about that a little bit and he's got a couple of numbers that he likes. And I just said, Hey, why don't you come on and let's discuss, you know, basic statistics for coaches. Like how, how do coaches, especially developmental teams, how do we use statistics to get better? I think that's the, I think that's the crux of it that most people are missing 
is uh, we're not we're not using the number to get better. We have this number in mind, but what do we have to do to 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 make that better? And I think Ray, you were talking about side out percentage was was yeah, our uh, survey and studies. side out percentage. Yeah, yeah. Talk about that a little bit. Just just go back over the conversation we were having. So so I was looking at our um, serve win percentage and trying to see what percentage of the time we're winning our serves. And we've got some rotations where we're winning almost 55%, but then some where we're just barely at 40. And how we can make that a little bit better and the causes for that. And I mean, as with all statistics, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it, a lot of factors. So if you have a really bad serve win percentage, it might be the opponent's best scoring rotation. It might be, uh, so last year for us, our best scoring rotation was rotation four, but for them, it might be rotation one or rotation two. So um, lo looking at the serve win percentage and BJ brought up a point that I hadn't really thought about was, well, okay, what do you think a good side out percentage is? and looking at your side out percentage versus your opponents and how that impacts the outcome of matches. And uh, right now we're siding out at 58% and winning 46% of our serves. And I would like us to be around 60 side out percentage based on where our schedule is right now. We haven't played the really, really super tough teams yet. Um, we haven't faced a really, really tough serving teams yet. So I'd like us to get above 60 for that just because if we're getting that side out percentage first ball side out there's not a lot more errors that can happen but the more the rally goes on the more people can be out of position the more blockers might not get back to where they're started your base defenders might not be where they're supposed to be um, transition gets sloppier as the set goes on or as the rally goes on usually um, and just things like that um, I don't really look at serve percentage very much with our team because obviously you can get 100% of your serves in with a really, really easy serve, but we're trying to look and see what the pass quality is off of those serves to, to see how many, because I have a really big team, our shortest guy who plays front row 6-1, and we're all elbows and triceps over the net. So, so we put up a pretty decent block and have pretty good defenders. So we're trying to get as many out of system plays that we can get to where we can get four to six arms in the air blocking the opponent's hitters. And a lot of the teams that we play aren't used to facing triple blocks and solid double blocks. So that really leads to a lot of errors and easier shots for us to play. I think that's, yeah, that's an I, interesting, I love that. You know, I think what you illustrate there is it depends, you know, it depends on what you have. Um, I think there's, there's a, a story um, I use with the executives I coach a lot, and it is um, uh, the, um, uh, the the Peter Drucker's uh, you know management guru. People have kind of talked about him for years and years and years, and and uh, he's often quoted as saying, "What gets measured gets managed, or what get measured gets done." And it's a it's a hallmark of people talking about we need metrics we need and our metrics aren't good and blah 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 the same thing as keeping stats right so they were doing an interview with him a few years before he passed away and he said um he was asked about it and and yeah that quote actually that versions of that quote go back to like the 1500s so you know what peter didn't kind of 
I mean, coin it. But he said, I never said that. <laughs> and God loved the interviewer. He said, well, what would you say? Good question, right? And he said, well, what I would say is what you want to measure is what helps the person do, doing the job do the job better. And I, I challenge my, my executives to, like, do, do your metrics actually do that? Do your metrics help them get better, or do you, are your metrics punitive? And, you know, many of them will say, oh, yeah, they're kind of, you know, they're meant to tell senior management that somebody needs to be punished. I mean, it's a little bit you know, over the top, but it's that kind of thing. And I, I realized uh, even, even today when I'm keeping stats, I'm not using them that way as well as I could. Um, my, you know, uh, you guys were talking about stats. I mean, I'm passing about a 0.65, okay, in that world. Uh, and uh, my serve percentage is actually better than I thought it would be. We're in the mid-80s, and, and at my level, serve percentage does help a bit. Um, but, you know, I've got – I'm at the stage where I have overhand servers who everybody wants to overhand serve. Nobody wants to torque serve or anything else even if they can't get it to the net yet. And, um, and everything's served within 15 feet of the net. So our opponents, once they make the adjustment, don't have a lot of ground to cover. Um, for most, I have one, one or two can serve deep. I've got one that did. I forced a torque server this week and said, and then told her, well, you're going to serve in this match. And she served one, you know, 25 feet back and scored. You know, so it's kind of like, okay, guys, um, Trust me, they, you know. Trust me on this, and it's like you can't get them to. It's hard to get them to trust you on that. Uh, and and part of it is they don't know me that well yet. I've only been coaching them for three weeks, but um, you know, uh, I think I learned a lesson early on to not overemphasize stats because I did at one point in my career, and it it was a big demotivator. Uh, and uh, it was you know they just made them feel bad, and that's not what I that's not what they should do. Right. Yeah, I coach high school boys, and all they want to do is see their stat sheet and what their numbers were and stuff like that. But then they're just looking at things of from a very small perspective. Oh, I hit, you know, 380. And I'm like, okay, but were, were you hitting where you should, or was it bad defense or bad blocking? Or or what what led to your 380? Or you hit negative 300, okay, but you were hitting against a 6.5 and a 6.6 middle. And you haven't really worked on working the ball around big blocks. So maybe next time when we play them, we're working a lot with the noodles through the net and and seeing the block and working on and around the block type mm -hmm. things and, and, and trying to find the positive nature in the stats. So we have good misses, um, bad misses. My, we're trying to teach the guys to processes for how and why things happen so that they can do a lot of self-correcting and I can ask them a question because I ask hundreds of questions every practice, probably like BJ does. And why, why do you think this happened? Why do you think that happened? And, and getting them to think about it at that level. Um, well, one of yeah. the stats that I personally, the only one that I really keep on the side is our earned points versus unearned points because we do have kind of a guideline where if we earn 16 points, so an earned point is a kill, a block, or an ace, if we can earn 16 points in a set, we generally win that set about 60% of the time. So if we can get to that 16 number, and the boys know about that number, they're like, oh, well, and I'll, I'm going to get a block this time. Okay, well, let's go get a block. All right, well, I'm going to get a kill. Okay, well, let's get that kill. Um, so so keep keeping it small for them in that respect, I really like. I don't like them looking at their hitting percentage because then I'll start not making errors 
they'll, they'll lose some of their aggressiveness because they don't want to have the hitting error on their stat sheet. Yeah, and bring and bring down that percentage. Right. Yeah, we found. Uh, I I first heard the earned points um, idea from Jim Keen, and we talked about that, and he was saying that. I think he says their number is 17. So if they yep. get to 17, they're, they're going to win. Um, so then I, I took that and my, my coaching style is let's be super aggressive. So my team was actually, we were at 19. We had to earn 19 because we were so aggressive that we were giving away, <laughs> you know, giving away errors. We're, we're going for high hands and chipping the block and taking big swings. So we had to get to 19 earned, but other teams uh, were, were helping us by, you know, giving a lot of errors. So I, I think it's a, I think it's neat that you mentioned that because between the two of us, you're at 16 for your coaching style. I'm at 19 for my coaching style. And it's, it's, it, it can work both ways because I know you win. Right. We won a lot. You know, it's just a matter of, of, uh, of how you're doing it. So that, that, that lends me to the idea that there is no magic statistical um, threshold for, for either passing or hitting. I mean, you're, you're talking about your guys are hitting 380 or the negative 300 or, you know, they're all over the place, but they can all be good. Right. You know, I mean, that's, uh, uh it, it's, it's matchup based, right? I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing. Yeah, Absolutely. Good. And I would love us to get to where we're at a 19, but the coaches that were there before me were very risk averse. So for them to even take, the big swings to try and get to 16 and I'm pretty happy with. And we talking about the earned versus unearned. We actually had a set that we lost 25, 23 this year. We made 19 errors and, and lost, and lost by two. Yeah. I tend to look at, at this point, I'm looking at net errors, but you know, there's, there's definite patterns there. You're, you know, if you're, if your Libero is not the number one in net errors, then something's wrong, you know, because they're going to be the one that gets the most attempts. And if they're, you know, if they're way off the chart, then you got to look at something. But it's got me looking at things like, you know, my lib's pretty good. Her her range isn't great, and she's been doing this for a while. And it's one of those things where it's part of her identity. So it's tough to go, hey, you know, like I kind of floated the idea. Maybe you want to back off because she's been a little frustrated lately. But I don't really, you know, I gave that up. I said, look, I respect you enough. I'll leave that up to you. If you're frustrated enough to bring somebody else. And we've got one candidate to do that. I'm good with that. And um, but BJ, you said something many, many moons ago, I think, um, about okay, maybe what I need to do is talk about tightening up her range of what she's responsible for to give her a better chance to get her numbers up. And the ones who are developing and doing a pretty good job on the my my outside hitters, open them up a little bit more. And uh, so those are the kinds of things when I look at a you know big disparity in that net errors and then you know i look for okay the next two should be the outside receivers usually and then when you get up to you know uh a middle blocker you know they they're, they're going to make some errors on attacks if they get a lot of them but for
for the most part, they're going to be my lower numbers or, or my own, and my right sides in my offense are probably my lowest number, but they get the lowest number of touches. So then you got to factor that in, but it's nice to be able to look at all that stuff. And what, what, uh, by the way, what, uh, how do you collect your statistics? Um, we have the huddle assist. So that does all the breakdowns for me. And then I'll usually go back as I'm watching the match and track something that might not look right to me. So we had one match where it said we had three blocks and I, I recall in my head that we had at least seven. So I'll go back and check that. Or if it had someone who seemed like they were really skewed from what I remember, I'll go through and kind of stat out what they were doing. And it lets you pull up all of their swings for that match. And then if there's any assigned to a team, then you can go through and look, okay, was that a team attack or was that something else? And, and kind of get it a little bit cleaner. And I, yeah. I remember having to do all of our team stats on paper back in the 1900s with little uh, tick marks. Many, and of a us, little... many of us still do. Yeah. And uh, uh, now, now I used a tablet with TapStat, which is a really cool little one where you just tap and go. So you've got all of your things there and you tap it and it adds a plus one for whatever it is. So if you hit a kill, it gives you one attempt and the kill on there. And then at the end, it gives you a compilation or a computation of all of them. Mm-hmm. So, so that's uh, two little cool things that I use. What about you, BJ? Um, we have at my high school, we have huddle at this, at the university we had uh volley metrics. Um, okay. and, and both of them, you know, I mean, they're, they're excellent at, uh, at, at most statistics. So they, they can break down your kills and your attempts and, uh, assists and blocks and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a couple of things that I value, um, it, it just are not available in those, uh, in, in those pieces of software. So one, um, one, I think it is very important where a passer is on the floor and where the passer receives the ball. So if, you know, if a, if a passer is great on her left, we want to serve her on her right. Or if, you know, if a, if a passer is good in zone six, but is not good in zone five, we want to attack her when she's in five. So, so that sort of breaks down. I've only met, I don't know. I think I've met about three or four people that have done that sort of breakdown. I wrote a program between my dad and I, we wrote a program that every time a, a server uh, serves a ball, we can track who the passer was, where she was on the floor, where the ball hit her, you know, in one of nine zones, you know, high left or low right or whatever. And then it compiles all that data to show you where that, that player is good and where, you know, where she needs work. Uh, So we do that for both the opponents in scouting and then for our own team. Um, And this is always a question that I ask people, how do you use stats to get better? Well, here's an answer. For us, if we scout ourselves and we find out that there's a player that is good on her left and not as strong on her right, 
then we want her to step farther to the left to create more opportunities on her right. You know, we just, we want her to move out of the way a little bit more, put a, put a little bit bigger gap on her right so that she has to work more on her right. And, and that, that idea came right out of high performance. That was something Karch said, you know, when we were, we were talking about, you know, most, most players are better on their left. And so everyone in the gym is, is going, oh yeah. So we want the players to pass on their left. And, and Karch, being him, says, so we're working really hard on the players passing on their right <laughs> because yeah. they have to do it. they got to get better at it. I'm like, oh, right. you know, that sort of blew well, my mind. Well, my, when I first saw that stat, and, I, you know, I, I grew up on, you know, face your target, which we don't do, and, and, but, but no one gave me a good reason. No one – it took me – 15 years of coaching till somebody gave me a rationale for right foot forward. And once it made sense, it was like, oh, I get how to explain why we do that as opposed to, oh, you got to have your right foot forward. And, um, and when, the, when they first time I went to cap and they were touting the statistic of, you know, lefts marginally, you know, pretty much equivalent to center line and rights weaker, I'm like, well, yeah, that's what we practice more. And, you know, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy kind of thing. Now, I don't know that that's the fact. It may turn out that we're better off on the left. But at the end of the day, you haven't proven anything. To me, it's coincidental. It's not necessarily, you know, uh, a, uh, a certainty. So, and to your point, one of the things, and it's something I'm going to bring back as I work with my team more is, yeah, well, do I know which side they pass best to? I do not at this point. And I should. Right. Um, and then we can use it to our advantage uh, when we can. Um, right now, I'm just trying to keep them in rotational order, but they're getting there uh, and, and doing it better than I did this week. So in that regard, they're making progress. But um, I use solo stat um, because and, and I think the, the other thing that, you know, we, since BJ, we do this for coaches who are just getting started or coaches who are at the entry level, you know, if it were me and, and a middle school coach who was new to the game said, what should I track? I'd say, you know what, get a sheet with serve and serve receive on it and just track that for a little while. Don't go crazy with it with the kids. If it's, you know, if you, I find on the girl side, it upsets them more to see them than, than the boys want to compete about it. So I would, uh, I wouldn't, I, I always tell them don't compare you know, it's about, you know, you getting better with you. Uh, cause I did verticals the other day with the boys and, oh yes, here's my experience of the week. I'm running my first boys open gym of the year. Um, and, uh, the boys are pretty good. I've been working with them for a while. So they come in and they're running speed ball and in walks a six foot three transfer who turned out to have a 32 inch vertical. And I'm like, he's, he's raw, but I'm like, dude this is my year it's got to be my year i've got a middle who just because at my school nobody's over six foot um uh, except the basketball team and they they don't think volleyball is cool enough to play so um it's uh um and he, he's a transfer from chicago uh, i'm like all right <laughs> this is my year we'll see how it works out but but i find solo stat to be pretty good for us if you're by yourself 
What you don't get in it is you can't do hitting percentage uh, unless you keep somebody else keeps hits. You, I say that you can do it, but you got to be really quick. And most coaches won't be able to do it. But if you have somebody on your bench keeping the, the, the hits that are not kills and the digs that are not digging errors, you can you can load them up later. And you can even have two iPads or two devices, and somebody can be entering those, and you can merge them. Um, it's not perfect. It also gives you the ability to sync video, but it is not huddle assist expensive. And we don't have that kind of budget, so... I can do for eleven dollars a month for the three month season that you know what Huddle can do for whatever the, you pay for that these days. Yeah, football paid for ours for the whole school, so we're, that's God the only reason we have it. God love them. Yeah, um, yeah, we have the I, same. I, I do like the talk that we were talking about where we practice what we do well. And I know with my boys, they always want to practice the things that they're good at and don't want to practice the things that they're bad at. So with the passing to the right, I, I find that a lot of my guys feel like they'll pass better one side or the other and they'll cheat that way. And I'm like, well, if you're weaker on that side, why not let's practice it and make it a strength and then you don't have any holes and they're just trying to hide the hole. So um, it's a change in mindset for them. They're not super growth mindset oriented they're not um i'm very big on the patrick lencioni five dysfunctions of a team building the trust and then communication accountability and all that um i I really love that and and how we build our team culture and and this is year two with them so they're starting to build up to that here and there they're starting to have more conversations and more questions and and they're doing a really good job of holding each other accountable this year of you know hey um that that should not account as a quality play for us or a quality transition because you didn't get to where you could have a really good approach in you had a good swing but you didn't get so they're, they're becoming more process oriented which i really really like and i think it's going to help them get better quicker yeah 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 so it's an important uh it's an important thing for sure, to get onto process and to think that through rather than doing your what you're best at all the time, you want to work on the things that you're worst at. It, it's, it only makes sense. You can improve more by working on the things you're bad at. So th- that's the bigger jump, right? <laughs> exactly. I, I think that's a reason to take stats. Let's find out what we're bad at and work on those things because that's the low-hanging fruit, uh, so to speak. Well, one of the big stat things I do, too, is they have the attack tendencies in um, yeah. the huddle breakdown. So I'll use that to see kind of if we were in the right place and did our proper transitions or how – because we do read defense and read blocking, so we don't have a set. If they set outside, get your right foot on the line. It's all dependent on where the set is and where the hitter's approach angle is taking them and teaching them how to read at hopefully a high level at some point, but trying to get them to actually read what's happening versus just go stand here and the ball might or might not come to you. Um, Because I I spent years having kids flying past the ball, going out the block because they're supposed to be blocking line. So they go all the way out to the line, but then the set's three feet inside. 
so they're not taking any space. So now we're working on getting in front of where our hitter's going. We can take a lot of space from there with, with where they're going to hit hardest because you hit hardest where you're going. And uh, then making defensive adjustments from that to take away kind of that second and third option for them. And it's, it's really helped with our block numbers. It's really helped with our defense. Um, it's helped with our hitters because they realize that when they're hitting now, oh, I'm hitting here, so the block's probably going to be here. So now I can turn and hit this way and get a good swing or a kill or a high hands out of system type swing or something like that. Or if we're playing a team who we plays right foot on the line for right back defense, we know that we can hit that hard seam and the ball is probably going to be in a good spot because they generally teams who do that will play regular perimeter where the middle back is between the middle blocker and the outside blocker. So that gives us a lot of space to work with offensively. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point that you bring up. Um, and another thing that you don't see in the stats packages at, at, uh, at green Bay, we started working on, you know, we started tracking where is the outside hitter attacking? What, what part of the block are you attacking? And they had been, they were probably more than half of the time attacking the middle of the block, looking for the seam. And, and so I started tracking when you attack the outside of the block, how much more successful are you than when you attack the inside? So we went from, you know, we're attacking 60% of the time at the middle, but we were actually hitting negative when we attacked the middle of the block and we we're hitting like 350 or 380 or something like that when we're attacking the outside. Like, hey, let's, let's shift if we can to hitting the outside of the block. And it didn't take long before... Now we're 60, 70, 80% of the time hitting outside the block or, or, or attacking the fringe of the block. And guess what? Our pass numbers went up. I mean, that's something you cannot get in the normal stats package, but those are things that are obviously important to coaches like us. Exactly. And I love the nine quadrant passing. I actually talked to a friend of mine who's a developer, uh, an app developer about how to make that. And I just wanted it to be a really, like it could be a stick person and okay, they packed top left. It was a one pass, they passed middle left. It was a three and being able to track that and have that to let us know, okay, well, we definitely need to serve this person to the right as much as we can. I feel like that's, um, it. it's a little bit higher level, but knowing that people generally pass better to their left and middle and serving away from that has really helped our guys with um with their serve numbers and getting the, the other team into less ideal situations and serve receive yeah yeah but i, I, I would love to have an app like that it it's uh it was a it was a game changer for us to be able to look at where and I felt like we knew things about the other team that they didn't know about themselves. Uh, you know, we're, we're tracking them. We know that this player, when she's in uh, five, is bad on her left. And you might assume, you know, hey, players are supposed to be better on their left, so you might assume that, but you can find these little holes. And at, at 
you know, obviously at division one level, that's bigger. I mean, at where I'm at now, it's going to be more about, well, this, this passer is better than that one. <laughs> so right. we're going to uh, avoid that passer and let's target this one as much as we can. Um, we went, we went so far as to program what a coach called versus what was served. So okay. if a coach called, uh, we didn't do it by areas. We did it by zones. So, or, uh, gaps, you know, one, two, three, four gap, um, which I got from, uh, from Jay Hasek, uh, down at, uh, George Mason. Of course you all know him. Um, love Jay. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't, they don't call one or six or five. They call gap one, gap two, gap three, gap four, whatever gaps there are. And those are, the, that's where they're attacking. So we just, we went through that all and figured out, all right, this girl is good on her, you know, if she's in one, she's better in gap three than in gap four. So let's, let's attack her gap four. Um, it's, it, it can get really detailed. I, I think we can go overboard. Uh, like I said, you know, at our high school, I think it's going to be more about tracking, you know, this, this player is a division one uh, prospect Libro. We got to stay away from her and go to this <laughs> player instead. Right. Um, as opposed to attacking a zone, but it, it's, it's just kind of, you have to be good at leveling that up or down at, at wherever you're at. Hmm? Yeah, yeah, I think that that's really important. Um, you know, even the understanding. I mean, I'm I, I'm I'm still working with players who are just now getting to real, you know, to know what the number zones are and where they are, and that makes it a very different educational kind of experience. They're like, oh, is that three again? I where's that? And, um, and, and some who know a little bit more, but I do like the idea. I'm probably going to use that with my boys. Um, so when you're using gaps, um, let me describe it. A three person serve receiver, the, the one gap is kind of down the line to zone one. Is that what you're looking at? Yeah, that's exactly okay. it. Okay. And then you got the, so you got four across the back and then you can decide what you want to call the ones between the, the, you know, short ones and in between the short long kind of stuff. Yeah. The great part about that system, and I didn't recognize it right away when Jay was talking about it, but say you have only two passers. Well, gap one is still gap one and gap two is the next one over and gap three is the third one. If you have five passers, which, you know, might be a middle school, you have gap one, two, three, four, five, six, you know, you've got all these different gaps. So, um, I don't know that middle schoolers, probably most middle schoolers aren't able to hit a specific gap, but that doesn't mean that we can't target them right. and learn how to hit them. Um, and then obviously you can go, uh, short right at the passer or deep in the gap. So you just have to have a system of how you call a short one versus a deep uh, three gap. Um, And it's not hard to figure out from there. And most parents or fans, (laughs) you know, if you're calling serves, 
most people don't know what the heck that means if you're putting a three out there uh, right. and telling them to serve deep they don't know what that, what that I, means. I think the more the more important thing there is the concept of it for them not the numbering and the just the practicing of hitting gaps and so you know rather than sitting there going calling a you know a one six gap which requires a couple of signals you just go one two three four and they know what the gaps are and they're practicing that so they're you know, it's reinforcing, whereas if we go and just call the zone, you know, there's usually somebody standing there at our level. We are. Uh, right. My ah, boy's actually BJ's used to get... going to share his screen. Wait a minute. Let me see if we can, see if we can get that to work. I was going to say, my boys get confused with the numbers. So what we actually switched to was the old back row calls. So the D seam is where oh, the yeah. D ball is, and then C, B, and A. And that made a lot more sense for them. So now when they're serving, we do the A, B, C, and D and just do quick sign language yeah. on it. The, the other thing I love about the numbers, and I've seen this a lot more at club recently, is the parent who sits behind your bench and calls out what numbers to their team from behind you. It's like it's going to give them some sort of advantage of, oh, the coach is telling him to serve to zone six. And you're sitting on the bench going, man, I hope she serves <laughs> it over. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. That's that's great stuff. Uh, yeah. So I don't know, Steve. Are you, are you looking at this or what are you? I'm. I'm uh, I am. I'm gonna try this and just oh, bear with go. me. Um, I'm trying to get the shape right. So give give me a second here. But uh, okay. let's go with uh, this. And I can only this. see. I can't see what you're doing. So just let me know when you're ready. How's that? How's it look, Ray? Looks good. Okay. You've got a multicolored so scheme good. on the left. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what this is, um, this is me scouting Wisconsin. Uh, it was before their national championship, so it would have been, I think I have 2019 on here. Um, and and the, the way this works... Uh, first of all, on the left, this is my, uh, my crazy way of thinking about a court. So uh, we have, you know, normally there are three passers that are kind of in the middle. And then there are gaps, you know, this, this gap over here and the gap between them, you know, these, the seams. Um, and then there's super short, sort of short. <laughs> you know, really deep and then right at them. Right. So in this, in this system, we can just click on a player and this would have been a libero of the time. Um, you can see the, the green is good. So she's very good when the ball is hitting her in the middle of her body, which these would be, these would be short. So you can see her short, right was getting a little weaker. So if we're going to serve this player, number one, uh, you can probably look her up <laughs> at that time. Uh, I guess, no, this is 2021. Um, so 2021, whoever number one was for Wisconsin, her short right was a little weaker. So that would have been a place to go. And, you know, here's number five. She's struggling on her right. 
So anytime we have an opportunity to serve her on her right or, you know, maybe her deep left. I mean, that's the level of detail you can get to. Uh, seven. We don't want to serve her. <laughs> you know, right. you put a big black spot on her and say, don't serve her anywhere because she's solid everywhere. Uh, right. And then there were a couple other, I think this is the interesting one. 18. I, I want to say that's one of their middles. I think that's right. That is it Ricky? Yeah. So every, every ball that they served short that she took was good. So let's not do that. Right. You know, I mean, it, it's that simple. Um, it, it's, it's not simple. It wasn't simple to build, but it was, you know, it was, uh, and here again, whatever player 21 was, she only passed in six. Um, trying to think of who that was. That was her left side. Uh, but she was great. So we're not going to serve her. You know, so that's, when she, else. that's when she's in zone six or is she in zone five in that? In this is in, the... Yeah, this is in five. So this is okay. the court. This is the net right here. So here she's in five. Okay. That perfect. six right there is just saying, um, uh, we can get so in the weeds on this, but, but these are the, these are the thicknesses of the zones. So like, okay. yeah, the widths, right. So this three this feet, six three feet, three feet, six three, feet. Yep. 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 Exactly. Um, perfect. So in that six foot width, we didn't want to serve her, but you know, obviously we're, we're targeting, if you go back, to one of the players that had a lot of touches, you know, you want to target the seams and this player, uh, pretty obviously a Libero, she was good in those seams, right? So we want to stay away from that. We don't, we don't want to go anywhere near her unless it's her short, right? But, yeah. I Ricky was I mean, 16. That's, I'm that's, not sure who 15 was. Yeah. I don't, uh, I, I don't, I don't remember. I was either. close. Yeah. Anyway, just, I mean, it, it gets detailed, but it doesn't have to be that bad. You can do that on paper, you know, just, uh, we've, we've done Again, this. It comes down well. to what you can use, you know? Yeah. Um, and it, it, in my world, can't do it because we're not playing a lineup. We're playing a team that's, a JV team that they're probably doing the same thing I'm doing, trying to get different people on di uh, in, in different combinations. And every t you know, they, they might get settled down to a first team and second team and a couple subs, but you're not going to see the same serve receive enough to get enough data to tell you. And the kids are, you know, they have a good day and a bad day. You know, I was telling them we played averages. So, you know, my setter had a, had a bad day one day and a really good day the other day. And that's, you know, I told her that's fine. You know, um, so it, it varies, but there are some things that, you know, one of the things I find helpful for stats is that it either confirms or contradicts what I thought I saw. And that's really helpful because I'll it, go it back and go, yeah. De definitely helps with our biases and things that we think that we see and can reaffirm. But unfortunately, people can also use them to their benefit. So... They're like, oh, well, this person's serving a lot better and they have a higher hitting percentage. And I'm like, well, yeah, they're hitting zero and the other person's hitting 150, but the other person has 15 points and kills. 
any other person is literally just tipping the ball right to the libero every single time and they're mm-hmm. scoring right away because they're in system on defense which you really don't want to have mm-hmm. as much yeah. as possible yeah well and just to bring up a simpler one um you know because like steve said before we're I think we're more geared toward people doing simpler things. They're learning, starting out. You can do things as simple as you, you just make a, a checkbox, you know, four, four boxes. A player uh, is ready for her, sir, or is, is ready to hit, or she's not ready to hit. And then she was successful or she was unsuccessful. So it's just, it's, it's four boxes on a page. Um, I, I should, I should show the graphic for that, but you, you check off, you know, if she was ready, great. And if she was successful, check. If she was ready and she was unsuccessful, you check that box. And it's, it can be that simple that players you can show the players that, Hey, look, 25 times you were ready and you were successful 16 of them. The, the 32 times you weren't ready, you were successful twice. So do you need to get ready? You know, it, it's, it, it's, it's that really, kind of stat. That's you know, the kind of stat though. I think you would wind up doing after the fact, which is if you've got the time to do the video, you know, that's a tougher yeah. one to capture in game. And that's where, you know, uh, I have not used iStat Folly, but people speak well of it. Uh, and I think it gives you some shot tracking that you don't get in Solostat. I just find Solostat about the limit of what I can do with my brain. Um, and uh, I also know the coaches who can, you know, probably do data volley almost. You know, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's so it varies. So it's what works for you or, you know, I like taking it myself only because it keeps me in the game and tracks who's my next server and who what my rotation I'm in and gives me all that information if I'm doing it properly. Right. Um, eventually, I'd like to get team managers to be doing it and sitting next to me and let me glance down at it. We're not there yet, but we, we might get that way for, the, for our boys' season this year. I'm hoping to maybe get there. I just think there's so much more value in tracking things that you want them to do. Did you get ready to hit? Did yeah. you attack the outside of the block? Uh, did you, you know, did you one, two, three reach on your pass? Uh, and then show them you were successful when you did this or you were unsuccessful when you didn't. Uh, those are, I, love- I mean, those are some of the big ones for me. <laughs> I love that as a process type stat and and things of that nature. Um, we're, we're having a hard time with our middles getting swings in transition, but part of it is they're not getting off the net. And the other part is they're not open and available and letting the setter know they're available. So then they're not getting the ball because we, we preach with our setters. If you can't see them or know where they are, you can't set them. Yeah. And then we put the onus on the middle you need to be up, you need to be loud, you need to be where you're supposed to be, and then we can run you in transition. And when we do, we hit at a much higher percentage. We score really quickly. If we can get a first ball transition set to a middle, we're scoring like 70% of the time. 
but yeah. we're not getting those because they're not in the right place. That's why we, we yeah. warm up with, with what Mike Hewlett used to call available. And it's, you know, real simple, you know, they got a transition. We don't do hitting lines. Um, they transition, they call their set and all three of them go, whoever hits next guy, double ducks under the net and plays. Well, that's pretty simple, but it forces them to transition and call their, their set. And, uh, you know, that's all I really want them to do. Um, and, you know, uh, we're the, on the girls' side, JV girls' side, they're just learning it. On the varsity boys' side, they've been doing it for a few years, so they kind of they get it. But it is really helpful, and you're right, it's, it's tough to get them back. The other thing I struggle with is getting kids to hit the ball, you know, three feet, four feet off the net as opposed to being right at, you know, we, yeah. I don't know what it is about our game, but everybody wants to be right at the net and... You know, you just, uh, yeah, I was watching, I forget who put video out uh, the other day, but, you know, it was a really good attacking video. And the guy's 20 feet off the net, jumps 10 feet off the net, hammers the ball at five feet off the net. And you go, you know, and so uh, when I see coaches talk about, oh, don't drift, I'm like, drift as much as you want, depending on what your approach look like. If you've got a really dynamic pro approach from 20 feet, you're going to drift five feet. That's okay. I don't care. Just get up in the air and hit the ball. Right. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's, it, 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 I don't know what it is. I, I suspect it's, that's how we were coached. Yeah. Is to stand right at the net. That's what we sometimes see. And even, as I watch our national teams play, our setters are not standing at the net. They're three, four, five feet off the net. And especially in transition, they're maybe seven, eight, nine feet off the net uh, because that's where the most success is happening. So I don't, I, I have no idea why our high school setters and ours are guilty of it. I keep pushing them off the net or I'll even stand in their way so they can't stand right next to the net and they get kind of ticked. Uh, like I may put a well, ribbon up across here. three feet off the net and make yeah. them hit the hit the ribbon every time. <laughs> yeah, stay out of this area. Yeah. yeah, it's it's. I think it's it's how we were coached, you know. Yeah. And that's going back to Kessel, and you know, we make kids run laps because that's how we were coached, and um, it's the same thing with standing at the net for the setters. I don't know. Uh I know of a program locally where they have had to run around the school and around the adjacent school and stuff like that with errors. And I'm just yeah. trying to weed that yeah. out as much as I can locally, but I, I'm like, okay, but we're a very developed, that's a very developmental team. So all of that 20, 25 minutes of running that they're doing is a hundred touches that they could have yeah, and get better yeah. at volleyball. So they wouldn't make that mistake again. Yeah, and if they ran yep. a rope and played short games, it'd be two or three hundred touches they could get. But no one would exactly. ever do that because that wouldn't look like volleyball because it's over a rope and if the rope isn't at seven feet four and or whatever it is and change. Right. You know. No. Yeah. We we actually do be the net, which is um, I think some people yeah. call losers the net. Yeah. And yeah. We, I I, yeah. I love that for our warm up. We do that all the time. So they're like, "How many games do we have going?" I'm like, "Well, we have thirty six guys." in the gym so we have 12 games going and and they're past set controlled and past set controlled and moving around and they're like this isn't a good workout and then after about two and a half minutes three minutes you're like can we get water i'm like no it's not a good workout remember you guys this was too easy for you guys right and then 
Ray, you just set off a light bulb. I am because I've been doing shuttle passing for my three minutes, and then we got our six minutes of running available and serving. I am going to, I'm going to introduce be the net instead. I think that'll be more fun for them, and you know, shuttle passing is kind of ick. But I mean, it's good in that it gets it gets the heart rate up, it gets them moving. But I'm going to change that this week. Yeah, we call it either living net or uh, monkey in the middle. Yeah, as another name, uh, loser becomes a net. Be the net. I I like living net because that that tells the net, like, hey, you know, let's let's get active. You know, be jumping around and be screaming and and, and you know, be a distraction. You know, yeah. it, it can also help with your hitters with if they're having problems seeing the block of working around the block there. Yeah. So that's kind of what we're using it right now. Hmm. Of okay, we're we're going elbows. So we're trying to tip or roll past the elbow and then defender is yeah. getting to where they can see it. And then they are there and can play the ball too. So we're adding facets to it to try and get them better quicker. Cause the cool part about that drill is you can go your, I mean, the basic drill of being the net is one V one, right? but you can also go two V two. And if you think about the three V three, now you got three players playing against three net players and three defenders. And then it's a game. What does that look like? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's what six on six looks like. Thank you. Yep. It's just such a beautiful game. Uh, I, I wish we, more people would, would get into that. I think we might switch to three V three as part of our warm up. Yeah. Three V three be the net. Well, you can do, if you do 2v2, if you have two courts of 2v2, then you've got, you know, a standard 12. Or you yeah. can play speed style where, you know, if, if you lose, uh, if you lose and you're off and the previous losers become the net. So then, then you have 16 on one, you know, on one side. Um, or you can play speed triples. I mean, it, it, there's just so many options with that uh, drill. Yeah, the speed speed is huge in our gym. We play it almost every day, and we'll have little tournaments set up, and that goes into our cauldron for for playing time and position battles and stuff like that. And yeah. then when we always get the parent call of, okay, why is my kid sitting versus this kid? And we're like, well, we're doing these drills, and your kid isn't performing as well as the player above them. And, not uh, winning. Got to win. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. doesn't always work. It, it's not working right now with one of my parents, but, you know, we'll figure it out. Yeah. There yeah, was I a thrill at uh, – oh, go ahead, Steve. You, go. Uh, you, you, need enough, you need enough data, and it needs to be consistent enough to really differentiate. And once you know you right. can differentiate, then you can use it. Yeah. So, yeah, there was a girl at, uh, at at Milwaukee. This was a long, long time ago. She's this this lady's probably in her forties by now. But she was a good setter on a team that was playing for national championships as a junior uh, as a junior player, and nobody recruited her setter. And because nobody recruited her, she didn't know what to do. So she's here in Milwaukee, and she's like, "Well, I'm gonna go to UWM and." let's go be a walk-on on the volleyball team. And 
the, the coach at the time noticed, I've heard this secondhand, but the coach at the time noticed that every time that player was on, the team she was setting won. Like almost everything. So she was kind of keeping a mini cauldron. So after a couple of matches in, they put this girl in and she had kind of goofy hands. They, they, they didn't, you know, it just, it didn't look like a normal setter, but I believe she still holds most of the setting records at UWM after 20 years because she played all four years because she just won, you know, like why wouldn't you, there's a statistic. Let's, let's keep track of how often a kid wins. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Especially in that type of position. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Carl McGowan used to tell this story about um, these two setters who he brought in. He brought in like the number one prospect in the country who was a setter. And you looked at him and angels sang when he went to set the ball and he jumped really high and hit really hard and bombed his serve. And then he had this other guy who was the other setter (laughs) and they, they would go back and forth. And the other guy always seemed to win. And, Part of it was the the super stud guy, when they lost, he would always look at his teammates and be like, this is your fault. You need to play better, blah, blah, blah. And the other guy on his team was like, look, you guys are stuck with me. You guys need to play really well for us to even have a chance. I'll give you everything I have, but you guys have to get it done. And his team's always played harder for him. And he ended up starting and doing really well for BYU and, uh, and ended up being the starter. And they moved the other kid, I think, to another position or something, but. I mean, it, it's if, if yeah. we just look at the aesthetics of it, sometimes we can get fooled into, well, this person's so athletic, but are they the one who we are going to win the most with? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, Which that's a, a, a big thing. Well, and, uh, and timely, bringing up BYU, they've been in the news a little bit in the, <laughs> in the volleyball world uh, recently, so I... I, I hope like heck they're figuring that out and, and coming to a good, uh, a good and positive outcome because I like, like you guys both respect uh, Carl and Chris and all of all the people that have worked there. Uh, but boy, they, they just have to get that. They got to get that straightened out, whatever the problem was there and, and come to a conclusion on it. Yeah. yeah it seems to be happening a lot more. I've seen a lot of it online where people are doing the same thing at other high school and stuff and it's just despicable yeah well, there's, me too. there's you know i brought it up with my girls and they're like hey that happens to us all the time that's you know we, we we get that every time we go visit school x and uh and i think they're right um and, and it's one of those things where you can have a word and uh but you got to prove it and it, you know, where do you put your energy um and yeah. you know at, at least at my school i just well, I think I think we've just about killed negative cheering. We do have some of the guys in the in the student section making noise, you know, kind of trying to distracting stuff when people are serving against us, which we're trying to discourage. But the uh, I have not heard uh, we like free points and you can't do that this year. And and our uh, to be fair, our, our high school association is definitely cracking down on that stuff. Um, yeah. And so we just try to stay positive. And um, so far, so good. Yeah, we're probably the wrong three people to be talking about this because none of the three of us have ever had yeah. to really deal with it. But yeah. uh, I, I had I'll it with my team, I mean, but I've never been the recipient yeah. of it. So right, absolutely. 
So, so we I can mean, be sensitive to I it. Have, but... uh, yeah. 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 I mean, for me, I've got maybe in our program of 30, 38, 40 kids, we've got maybe 10 kids, black or brown or Latino. And uh, like, I would, I've known these kids for three weeks and I'd do anything for them, you know? So I, I'm looking out for, uh, you know, any of that kind of BS that people are going to throw at them. And I would have no problem pulling them off the court and getting on the bus, you know, like we're out of here and you know, yeah, we forfeited a match, but you guys, your school's got to figure it out. I, I have pretty good confidence in our, in our conference that they're going to take care of those things. Well, one of the um, things that I can recommend, because uh, I did it this week, was I went out and somebody provided the link to the Oregon training that they do for coaches on this topic, yeah. which they're way ahead of the game on. And yeah. uh, it's about a half hour of, of stuff, maybe a little less than that. Definitely time well spent. Gets you thinking about a process, so it's not just jump on the bus. It's you know, here's what the refs and in, in, in their conference, here's what the refs are responsible for doing. Here's what the site administration is responsible for doing. And if you go through those steps and, and it's not taken care of, that's the time to, you know, pull back. But that's not some you know, it's, to to be fair to the coaches who are involved, that's not something that comes naturally to a coach. You know, I, I understand. You no. know, it's it's no, it, it it's. So it's good to practice it and go through the, it's, it's like, you know, um, it's like the drills they do for, you know, for active shooter. I mean, you know, you, you, uh, sad that we have to do it, but at the end of the day, um, if you've practiced it, you're going to be able to execute it. And I think that that course was well done. Something that, you know, I think a lot of coaches would benefit from, from going through. Yeah. Yeah, every play in the gym deserves a, a, the same respect level. Yeah, uh, no matter what, and and that's the part that uh, I guess that's the part that bugs me. You know. Yeah. Um, well, by this time, yeah. Ray, usually BJ goes, "Hey, we're over time," and <laughs> we are over time. We're seventeen minutes over, so we got to get out of here. All right. I think it was valuable, though. I think it was a good oh, conversation. Yeah. Yeah, Ray, thanks for coming. Uh, this has been a great conversation, and uh, I always look forward to these. Um, I'll, I'll get it out on uh, to our podcast as well so people can listen to it if they don't want to look at our mugs. Uh, but, uh, but But BJ's little, you know, yeah, exactly. BJ's uh, uh, chart would be worth looking at. So uh, if you do want to look, um, it was in the latter half, I'd say probably about 50 minutes in if you want to look. Uh, and go to the, you know, if you're listening to this, and you want to take a peek at his, uh, his tendency chart. Um, that would be about where you would find it. All right. Thanks so much for having me guys. Really appreciate awesome. it. Happy to do it anytime. Yeah. Thank well, you, we will take you up on that. All right. Perfect. All See right. Have a good time. night guys. See ya. Thanks for listening. You can catch other episodes of our Talking Volleyball podcast on Spotify, Apple, and Google, or watch us live or recorded on the Coach Steve YouTube channel.